word from what we say this morning. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Okay, so like I said, I've got six lessons, six points, six lessons on inheritance out of this out of this story. And so most of us read this story and we think, hey, there was a lost guy and he got saved, right? Hallelujah. Well, hallelujah is right. But there's other, there's other people involved in this. And so there's really, there's three people in the story. There's the prodigal son, the wayward son. There's the father. And there's also the, the older son. And we'll get there. And there's a couple lessons we can learn from each one of these guys. And really everybody in this room can find yourself in one of these three people's footsteps. Some people in here I don't know any other way to say it, but you're wayward. You're not where you need to be with the Lord. And you know it, and the Lord knows it. But something needs to be done about it. Some of you are the father in the story. You're just trying to make peace in the home, right? You're just doing what you need to do. And some of you, some of you are the older son. You're just trying to, to do everything right. And so I do pray as we go through this this morning, you might find where you fit in here. And maybe we can see what happens. So, so the first point I have today is a true inheritance is not conditional. A true inheritance is not conditional. In verse 11, Jesus says, and he said, A certain young man had two sons, and the younger of them said unto his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided them to his living. A true inheritance is not conditional. When we talk about inheritance, what do we think about? What's what somebody leaves us when they, when they die is what comes to mind, right? An inheritance, is, it refers to the assets that an individual gives to their loved ones after they pass away. Proverbs 13.22 says, A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children, right? To his children's children. And the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. Not everything we inherit is always a good thing, though. Have you ever been a part of uh, somebody passing away and they just had a lot of stuff, right? And it was just like, man, I don't even know what to do with all this stuff, Right? Sometimes uh, the inheritance isn't always a good thing. Some of us, it, 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 sometimes you inherit things that aren't so physical. You know, some of us inherit bad habits, health issues. We inherit sin. We inherit a lot of things. The point here is that sometimes as the recipient, there's nothing you can do but inherit what's given to you. Sometimes it's just like, I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but I at least got to go through it, right? I at least got to go through all this stuff. The same should be true of the person leaving the inheritance, though. An inheritance should not be conditional. Here's what I mean by that. Too many people think, well, I'm going to leave this to my children. I have three children. I'm going I'm to split it all three ways as long as they do this, 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 and this. But if, but if they don't do these things, then I'm just going to give it to the other two, right? That's not how an inheritance is supposed to work, right? But that is the way it works with a lot of people. Here's why that's true. Here's why that shouldn't work that way. Because somebody who understands the Word of God knows that nothing is really theirs anyway. Anything that you have is given to you of the Lord. You might say, well, I worked really hard for that. Well, I don't know about you, but the Lord provides me a job every day. Uh, we own our own uh, construction company, and I'm just simply walking by faith, hoping that the phone continues to ring, right? At any point, that phone could not ring, right? And there's no more work. And so anything that you have is of the Lord in the first place. Don't forget that. So who are we to decide on the conditions of who receives it after we're gone? Did you choose your children? No, God gave them to you. So who are you to decide those things, right? Let me show you a few things that the Father does here that we could learn from today. And this, is, this, this point right here, I'm going to spend probably more time here than any of them because this is where God was really working me over. Right? I don't know about any of you, uh, but uh, I have uh, teenage children. Praise Jesus, right? Because there's no other thing to say other than praise Jesus. I love my kids to death. But there are times that it's just like, man, um, I don't know what to say at this point, right? I don't know what to do at this point. And um, 
here, here's some things that the father does. Uh, he doesn't argue with his son or to convince, or to try to convince him to say, I don't read anywhere that it says, man, son, you really just should stay. You should try to stick this thing out. You should try to, he doesn't do that, right? He doesn't do that. He just, he says, okay, if this is what you want, and he gives it to him and he says, go on, right? And I think there's something to learn from that. And I'll, I'll circle back around and tell you why there's something to learn from that in a minute. But here's another thing that the father does. He doesn't hold back what is rightfully his because he's leaving. He doesn't say, you know what? Because you're leaving, I'm only going to give you half of what is yours. You know, if you stuck it out, then I'd give you all of it. But no, he doesn't do that. He gives him everything. He says, here it is. It's yours. Who am I to keep it from you? And here's the third thing. And this is the thing that I really want to key in on. He doesn't chase after his son. He doesn't chase after his son. Too many times we want to we want to chase after our kids, right? Some of us, and, and praise Jesus Christ that this isn't the case in my house. But there are there are times that there are people who have teenage kids or, or they have wayward children in the home and they are just rebellious, right? And, and and there's just you don't know what to do, right? And sometimes you have to get to the point where you just say, you know what? I can't do anything about this. I'm going to turn you over to the Lord because what you're doing is disrupting the home and all of the other children, right? And sometimes you just have to do that. And I'm not going to chase after you. And I'm going to pray that the Lord takes care of this, right? And I'm going to pray that the Lord takes care of this. Sometimes as parents, we like to think that we own our children. You know, I understand. When my kids are little, I'm going to do everything I can to keep them safe. I'm going to do everything I can to provide for them, right? But I don't own these kids. We don't own our kids, we, we, we can't own our kids. And then what happens is that continues into their teen years. And then what do teens want to do, man? They want to go, you know, rage against the machine. I don't want nothing to do with what dad says, even if it's the right thing, because I don't want to do what dad says, right? And, and it's just like, you know, we don't own our kids. We as parents should see our children as what they are. My kids are on loan from God. He gave them to me. He said, I'm going to trust you as a steward to train these kids up. But they're not for, they're not for you to keep. Right? Psalms 127, verse 4 and 5 says, As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath a quiver full of them. You know, I don't know about I'm I'm glad I don't have a quiver full of them. Three was plenty, right? <laughs> three was plenty. I'm hoping I've got a decent enough aim. I can do it in three, right? But th- th- three is plenty for me. Um, ha- happy is the man who hath a quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed but they shall speak with the enemies that they gave. Our, our kids are ours for a season. They're meant to be trained up and shot out like arrows. Let me make a spiritual connection here because this is where God was really working me over. It wasn't so much that my kids are, are rebellious and want to leave the house, at least I hope not, right? But uh, this is where God was kind of working me over. Um, let me make a spiritual connection here. What God was really showing me about all of this, though, is just as our children are alone for a season, our disciples are the same way, right? You might pray for a disciple, you might ask God to give you a disciple. You might uh, even, you know, have the uh, privilege to disciple somebody, right? They're on loan from the Lord. You are to invest in them, right? They're not yours. No more than I would tell, well, Paige and I are disciple and Nick and Kendra, right? No more than I would tell Nick, you are mine, Nick. I, I, I can't do that. No more than I can tell my son, you're, you're mine, right? You're not. I, I don't own you. But it's my job to invest everything I have in a short amount of time, right? And, and those disciples. But the same thing can be said of our disciples as we can be said with our children, right? The same three things can be said, right? Sometimes our disciples, they go wayward. You ever had a disciple that's just like they checked out? They're out I'm, I'm out. I'm taking I'm, I'm just leaving, 
that's, that's hard, right? I've invested time. I've invested, you know, uh, my heart, my soul, right? And sometimes that happens. You know what? It, I'm not going to argue with them if they're going to try to leave. I'm going to tell them, hey, you probably ought not, but I'm not going to argue with you, right? I'm not going to hold back what's rightfully theirs, right? I'm not going to say, you know what? The things that I said, those blessings don't apply to you because you're leaving. That doesn't happen, right? And most importantly, and I think this is where God was really working me over, as we don't chase after them. Well, I don't know what happened. I'm sorry. <laughs> we don't chase after them. And remember, this is coming on the heels, and that's why I told you, this is coming on the heels where it says, Jesus said, if I've got 99 sheep, I'm going to go after the one. Yeah, we're going to go find out what's going on. But it doesn't mean I'm going to put my life on hold, my ministry on hold, everything that I'm doing, because I've got a disciple that's wayward. Right? That's not what that means. Think back to what Mike Blake said last week. I heard that. I really love Mike Blake. He's, um, he's just very speak from the heart. Right? But he said sometimes oxen fall into pits. Right? Sometimes uh, we have disciples that fall into pits. They're just wayward. They fall off track. And you know what an oxen that's in the pit needs? They need somebody to help them out. Right? But I made this analogy in Passpoint this morning. Somebody can be drowning, and you're on the boat. And you can throw them the little life dinghy ring, or whatever they call that thing. Right? And you can say, I'm going to pull you out. But they have to at least grab a hold of it. You can even be a really good shot at your little throwing, right? And get it right there at them. If they don't grab a hold of it, the word of God doesn't say chase after them. It doesn't say, man, uh, go chase the sheep, right? Yes, I understand. We need to go and we need to make sure that if our disciples are gone, it's like, oh, they ain't here. I'm just not going to, I'm going to check out on them. But here's what I mean by that when I say that. Too often people think, well, I'm just waiting on this person to come back. I'm waiting on this person to come back. And, you know, I, I had a disciple that I was discipling. He was a, a high school kid at one point, and, and he bailed on me. Man, if I was still waiting on that kid to come back, I can count of the different disciples that I've had since then that I'd be like, well, I can't disciple you because I'm waiting on this guy to come back. You can only invest in who it wants to be invested in. Does that make sense? You know, sometimes, and this, this is a hard fact, and this goes with your physical children and your, your, your spiritual children, you can't want it for them. You can't want it for them. As bad as you could want to. Even the Apostle Paul said that. He's like, man, if I could trade my salvation for my brethren, I would, but I can't. You can do everything you can, but it's, it's up to them. That's what salvation's about. That's why that song, I Got Saved, is so awesome, because you know what? All it takes is you humbling yourself, and we'll get to that. But, you know, the same thing can be said of our disciples, right? You know, I'm not going to try to convince you to stay. I'm not going to withhold your blessings, and, and I'm probably not going to, you know, chase after you. I'm going to come and make sure what's going on, but if you don't want help, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to just, like, stop everything. We're not going to stop having church because, well, this person, they don't want to come back, right? And we're just going to pray that God will bring them back. A true inheritance is not conditional. Here's the second lesson on inheritance. The world only wants you until your inheritance is spent. I'm sure we've all been there. Not many days, verse 13, and not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. Has anybody else lived that life? Man, I did. Wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself into a citizen of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine and he would fain to feed his belly with the husk that the swine did eat and no man gave unto him. Here's the second lesson on inheritance. The world only wants you until your world is spent. 
Does anybody else relate to that or am I the only one in the room, right? The world only wants to use you up, right? The world only wants to use you up. They want you until you have nothing left. Your drug dealer only wants you until the money runs out. You ever go back to your drug dealer and be like, hey, I, I ain't got any money, but I'll catch you next time, right? That doesn't work like that. At least I don't think so, right? Praise Jesus, I never found myself in that situation, but I found myself in plenty of others, right? They only want you until the money runs out, right? Your, your quote-unquote friends, they only want you until you've got nothing left to offer them. Your significant other only wants you until you quit making them, you know, that funny word, happy. And the list goes on. The world's all about being with you as long as you've got money to support the habit. But as soon as it runs out, they're on to the next victim and the next victim and the next victim. That's what the world does because that's the only thing they know how to do. That's what the world does. Or better yet, that's what sin does to everybody that falls into the trap. Jeremiah 5.26 says, For among my people are found wicked men. They lay wait, and he that setteth snares, they set a trap and they catch men. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 17 and 19 says, Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird, and they lay wait for their own blood. They lurk privily for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone that is greedy of gain, which taketh away the life of the owners thereof. Every lost person in the room, every lost person that's watching this, every lost person that hears this should know exactly how this feels. And the only hope they have as a lost person, if they choose not to accept the gospel is to try to reciprocate the same feeling of being taken advantage of to the next person and the next person because you know what, I got to get mine. That's what the lost world does, man. It's just, they're just trying to use you up. That's why relationships in the world are doomed from the beginning. You ever been in a business relationship? Like you see two lost guys in a, get in a business relationship. I'm not even talking about a saved guy and a lost guy. I mean, Mike Blake talked about that last week. You ought not do that, right? Uh, be not unequally yoked. That's what we're talking about there. But, uh, they're doomed, right? Business relationships, friendships, marriages. I mean, they're doomed. Why? Because everybody's out for themselves. They're doomed because everybody's out for number one. And guess what? You're not number one, no matter what they want to tell you. You may say, that's not fair. Not everybody's like that, Jason. Not everybody's that bad. But guess what? I'll tell you they are. And there's a reason they're like that. And it's because they're just like their dad. You might be like, well, my dad wasn't that bad. Well, guess what? His dad, his name was Adam, if you go back far enough. And so was mine. And he left something for all of us. And it was this thing called sin. And we have no choice other than to serve it. Well, no, you don't understand. I'm a pretty good person. Well, you don't understand. You're born into sin and you have no choice in the matter other than to accept Christ. Right? And that's just the, that's just the harsh reality of it. Romans 3.23 doesn't say that, that most people have sinned. It says that all have sinned. Romans 3.12 doesn't say that, you know, there's a rare few that do a pretty good job, right? It, is, it doesn't say that. Romans 12 says that there is none good, no, not one. See, these are very exclusive statements. The Bible doesn't have a lot of exclusive statements, but there are a few of them, and you need to take note when it's there, because you aren't the exception to the rule. Too many people, especially in the lost world, think I'm the exception to the rule. I promise you, you're not. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God right? There is none good, no, not one. So before you try to tell me, because I know where you're coming from, I've heard this a thousand times, this person's different. This relationship, it's different, right? He's different. She's different. This time it's different. Let me tell you this. Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. It's not different. The Bible is very clear. Sometimes we'd like to try to find those gray areas in the Bible, right? You know what a gray area in the Bible is? 
It's when you don't like what the Bible says, so you try to find a way around it. I just call it what it is, right? That's just simply what it is. There is no gray area in the Bible. He's very clear about what he says. We just don't accept it sometimes. I don't accept it sometimes. I'm not trying to put myself... I'm telling you, I'm in the same boat, guys. I'm in the same boat. Young people hearing this today... You need to hear this before you take off like the prodigal did. Your inheritance is not conditional. We, we, we saw that. But, but what will happen to you in the world, that's a guarantee. They only want you till your inheritance is gone. They only want you till your inheritance is gone. I promise. The third lesson on inheritance. Got to keep moving. Humility. That's a fancy word. Humility is the only way to change your eternal inheritance. Humility is the only way. You might say, well, Jesus Christ is. We'll get there. Humility is the only way to change your eternal inheritance. Verse 17. So the son, he's, he's, he's basically went and found a job. He spent all dad's money. He sold all the stuff. Now he's out working for this guy, and he ain't even got enough food to fill his belly. You ever been there before? And I remember back in the days that Paige and I were like, I don't know what we're going to eat, right? And those are just the, I mean, there were days, you know? And, and he comes to himself, and he says, you know what? How many hired servants, how many, how many guys work for my dad, and they're just laborers, and they at least have enough to fill their belly? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go, and I'm going to say, Dad, I've sinned first against heaven and against you, and I don't want to be called your son. I don't deserve to be called your son, but will, will you just hire me? That way I at least don't starve to death, right? He comes to the end of himself, and he says, you know what? I have nothing left. Will you take me as I am? Right? And I don't want to be anything spectacular. Will you take me as I am? Humility is the only way to change your eter- eternal inheritance. Every person who's saved today, you should understand this point. We're singing a song, I Got Saved. Man, I remember, uh, some of you guys know my testimony. It's, it's not like most people's. I got saved sitting in the front seat of my pickup truck at a stop sign. God had been working me over. And you're like, how's that work? Well, I, I'll tell you the story sometime. It's a long story. But uh, I was, it was just like, I, I knew if I went any farther, like God was going to strike me with lightning. Like it, was that, it was that serious. I knew the truth that much, and I needed to do something about it, right? Every saved person, you should understand this point, that humility is the only way that you're going to change your, your eternal inheritance. You don't change your status with God. This is what people try to do in the world. You don't change your status with God by cleaning up or trying harder or being better or doing things differently. How many times have you heard that story, right? I'm going to change things, right? Well, I'm, I'm going I'm to quit doing this, right? Or you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get better, right? You don't change your status. You change your status when you come to the end of yourself without doing any of those things, and you come to the Father, just like the prodigal did, and you cry out for forgiveness. That's how you change your status. You want to spend eternity with Jim Boyette in heaven? And you cry out to the Father. You don't clean up. And I don't know how many people, they're like, man, I, I know I need to get saved, Jason, right? I know I need to do that, but I got I to I gotta quit doing this first because God's not going to take me like this. And I got, I got news for you, right? I don't know who needs to hear this today, but there's nothing you can do to change yourself to be more acceptable to the living God. Nothing. You might say, well, I quit smoking. I quit drinking, right? There is nothing you can do to be more acceptable. And what I mean by that is he would have taken you the way you were, right? And so if you're stuck trying to get out of it, quit trying so hard, right? Uh, you just stop trying, right? I don't know who needs to hear it, right? People say, well, when I quit drinking, right? Or when I get soap or when I get off the drugs, when, when I get things in order, right? Or when I'm a better person, then I'm going to come to God, right? Because he won't accept me. 
the way I am. Well, I got two things you need to hear. First off, did you not hear the last point? Because God will take you just the way you are. So if you missed the last point, go back and listen to that. So right, you can't clean up. You're buried in sin. You're born that way. You can't change it. Okay, so that's the first thing. If you're going to try to clean yourself up, you can't. Sorry. I tried that for years, right? You can't. And second, and this is more important, God the Father, he simply wants you to come as you are. One of the coolest things I ever heard about Christ before I got saved was like, he'll meet you where you're at and he'll get you where you need to go. And I'm like, well, I don't know where I need to go, right? And it's like, well, okay, well, he's going to meet me where I'm at. And I'm like, well, I just need to get my marriage figured out, right? Or I got to get, my, I need to figure out how to be a father. And over and over again, it was just like, fine, if you're going to meet me where I'm at, I'm sitting here and I'm in my truck and I'm at the stop sign and I'm like, God, here I am. Are you going to meet me where I'm at? And he will, I promise. That's what happens. The prodigal son, you don't see him clean up, right? What's he do? He, he humbles himself. He, he comes just as he is. He's broken and beat up from the world. There's somebody in here that's broken and beat up from the world right now, and they're taken advantage of. And it says that the father sees him afar off. You know what that tells me? And dad was watching, and he was waiting, and he was praying that he was coming back. It says he sees him afar off. And he has compassion on him. I love that word, compassion. We talk about Jesus on the Christ, and we talk about it, it's, it's the passion of the Christ. Man, he had compassion. He didn't say, man, that, he took my stuff, and he, he used it up, and man, I'm going to teach him a lesson. No, it's not like that, right? Some of us parents know what that's like. I'm going to teach this kid a lesson, right? Especially if you say another word, right? No, it's not like that. He's got compassion, right? The father, he says he has compassion on him. Compassion is what God the Father has on you today if you're lost and broken. You're like, you don't understand, I'm messed up. No, you don't understand, God's got compassion on you. He allowed you to take your inheritance and run. He allowed you, just know that. He allowed you to take that inheritance and run. But now that you're at the end of yourself and you're lost and you're broken, he sees you afar off and he has compassion. The Bible's very clear in the fact that there's no good work required for salvation Romans 10 is very clear. It says, if you confess with the mouth of the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That sounds pretty easy, right? Well, that's all I got to do, right? Yeah, that's all you got to do. The hardest part, you know the hardest part about getting saved? At least in, in my life, the hardest part, and maybe you'll agree, maybe you won't, I don't know. The hardest part about getting saved is humbling yourself enough to say, I need it, right? Is humbling yourself enough and I was a 20, I don't know, it was 13 years ago. I keep math as hard, but like I was young 20s, I think, when I got saved, right? And I, man, I was, I was young and bulletproof. I could do anything. The, the hardest thing was to come to, my, come to the end of myself and say, you know what? I, I just, I need it because I can't do it. Everything, every scenario in my life was proving that I couldn't do it. And that's what it is. The prodigal, prodigal comes back, and he tells his dad, man, I messed up. I don't, and I don't deserve anything from you. He could have saw dad and been like, hey, dad's waiting for me. Let me change my story here. Hey, dad, I'm back, you know, just for a little bit. And he doesn't. And he's broken. He comes back and he says, I messed up. And I don't deserve anything from you. But will you allow me to be one of your servants? That sounds a lot like getting saved. God, I don't deserve anything from you. If, if anything, I, I, de I deserve what's promised to me, and that's hell, Right? but will you allow me to be one of your servants? 
that same decision. That's the, that's, the, that's the decision that somebody needs to make today. I don't know if it's somebody here, somebody listening. I don't know. Somebody needs to make that because I promise he'll meet you where you're at and get you where you need to go. Humility is the only way to change your eternal inheritance. Number four, the fourth lesson on inheritance. Your inheritance is only as good as your father. Your inheritance is only as good as your father. Verse 20, backing up a little bit. And he says, he arose and he came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. And he ran and he fell on his neck and he kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. And I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this, my son was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. You want to know what it's like when you get saved? Father says, I don't care about any of that junk anymore. The cross took care of that. Bring forth the best robe, put some shoes on those feet, Right? And let's be merry. There's going to be a time soon after the rapture. It's called the marriage supper of the lamb. He's going to kill the fatted calf and we're going to eat and be merry. And I'm looking forward to it. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to it. Some of you might be thinking of all this inheritance talk. That sounds pretty good, right? But guess what? My dad ain't got no money. So how's that work out for me? Well, here's the problem. The truth is for you that are thinking that way. None of our fathers have anything to leave us of any eternal worth other than the word of God. You know what? If you're counting on your lost daddy to leave you something, he ain't got nothing to leave you. It's just stuff, right? And even if your dad's saved, you better hope that he's leaving you something eternal, and that's the word of God. And God forbid that I have three kids that come up in my home, and I don't invest the word of God into them. I don't bring them to a place they can learn the word of God. I don't invest it in them myself. God forbid, Right? That's on me if that happens. Just so you know, guys, you might be like, well, my wife spends more time with them than I do. I promise that is on you. You are held responsible. Women, you're not excluded, but men, you get the the bulk of that responsibility. We get so caught up in the physical things that we miss the fact that in eternity, none of that's going to matter. The lost world's out there hoping that their father's going to have something of worth for them as an inheritance. But the problem is they're relying on the wrong father. They're relying on the wrong guy. You ever been, in, you know, maybe in a work situation or, I, I don't know, where, wherever, right? Hope, God forbid, it's in the church. But you're relying on somebody to come through and they just don't. They just let it down. They drop the ball, right? The Chiefs know a little something about that. They're, the O-line, they dropped the ball here a few months ago, right? I mean, Pat did everything he could, but guess what? It, they're relying on the wrong guy. That's just the way it is. They're relying on the wrong guy. John 8, 42 to 44 says, Jesus saith unto them, If God would your, were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Verse 43, Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word? Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the, uh, and the father of it. If you're lost today, I mean, there's a lot of things I'd like to say to you. (laughs) But if you're lost today, there's a lonely fact in those verses I just read. Your father is the king of this world, and his name is the devil. And you have no choice in the matter, right, other than to get saved. You might say, no, I'm not living like that. I'm telling you, if you're lost today, that is just the harsh reality of the word of God. Your father, his name is Satan. It is what it is. 
And if you don't like it, and you might be like, well, that's a gray area. No, I, I already told you about the gray areas. There's no such thing, right? It is what it is. There is hope, but not if you're going to choose to continue to walk in sin. There is hope. Look at what happens to you when you humble yourself, like we talked about in the last point, on the father's end, right? So the father, he sees the son, and he sees him afar off. He sees him afar off. And what's he do? This is what God the Father does for us. Verse 22, he says in the service, bring forth the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. He says, I know what you deserve, son. But that's not what you're going to get. Right? That's not what you're going to get. And some of you are like, man, I I get it. And you're, you're, you're preaching to the choir. I get it. Okay, well, you're not living like it then. Put on the best robe and wear it. Right? Some of you need to put on your robe and put your shoes on and wear it. Because that's what the Father gave you. When you, boil, when you boil it all down, you deserve nothing and you get everything. Right? You, know, you want to know what you deserve as a lost man? You deserve hell. You deserve the wrath of God. Because we're born in sin. That's what you deserve. Well, that's really, that's really a harsh... That's, that's what the Bible says you deserve. But you know what the Father gives you? Eternity in heaven. We deserve this and we get this. You know, and too many people are so caught up on, why would God allow that to happen? Because you won't humble yourself and admit that it's your sin that's keeping you apart. It's not God's fault. Too many of us want to say, well, if God wouldn't have... It's not God's fault. Humble yourself. Admit that it's sin that's keeping you apart. And man, he will give you eternity. It's there waiting. And even so, come Lord Jesus... Your inheritance is only as good as your father. That's just the way it is. Number five, the fifth lesson on inheritance. We're kind of going to switch gears here. Self-righteousness will give you a false inheritance. So we've talked about the, the son that runs off, and what's he do? He comes to himself, he humbles himself, he comes to dad. We see how dad reacts. First off, he doesn't chase him. Then he receives him back just the way the father will with you, right? But then there's another character in this story. And sometimes I think that's what this older brother is, is the character, right? Self-righteousness will give you a false inheritance. This is the part of the story that may hit a little closer to home for some of us Christians. I mentioned from the beginning that everybody hearing this today should be able to find themselves somewhere in this passage and should be able to learn something from it. So if you're a God-fearing Jesus worshiper today, that's what we're supposed to be, right? I fear God, I'm going to do whatever Jesus says to do, right? Here we go. And you've got all this Christianity thing figured out. This might be where you find yourself, because I promise you're never going to have it figured out. You may want to perk up your ears and hear what comes next. Because time and time again, this is where we find too many people in the church. And I'm not, I don't have anybody in mind when I say this, so I can, with a clear conscience, just preach this away, because I'm not thinking of anybody. This is just what the Word of God says. The older brother comes rolling in from a hard day's work. Here's a party going on. He's like, man, dad's throwing a party. He calls the servant over. He's like, hey, what's going on? What's happening here? When he finds out the party's not for him, that's not really why he's all that mad. He's like, oh, I don't know, it don't matter. It's when he finds out who this party's for. Now all of a sudden there's a problem. Now all of a sudden there's a problem. It's not that I'm 
I mean, it would have been nice if Dad would have thrown me a party, but like, it's who it's for that really gets under his skin. He starts throwing a pity party. Verse 25. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked, What are these things meant? What these things meant? And he said unto them, My brother uh, is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. And therefore his father or came out his father and entreated him. And he answered and said unto his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee? Neither transgress I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid. Thou that I might make merry with my friends. He's got a problem with his brother. Something that I noticed, I've never noticed this before, I've read this passage a whole lot of times, right? Something I've never noticed before, and it could be a coincidence, right? Because usually that's how it works in the Bible. There's just coincidences. There's no way that God tied these things together. That's a lie. Um, there, there is no coincidence because God has this book so intertwined that you can't even get your mind wrapped around it. But read verse uh, 29 again. He says, and he answered and said unto his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. He mentions I or me five different times in one verse. Now, some of you in the Bible scholar world know somebody else that said something about I will do this five times. It's just a coincidence, I'm sure. Isaiah 14, verse 12 to 14 says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken to the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend unto heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend in the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. What he's trying to say is I'm as good as God. I'm sure it's just a coincidence that here we find the older brother, the self-righteous older brother who's always done the right thing. What about me? What about, I, I did this and I did that, Dad. I'm sure it's just a coincidence. Lucifer thought the same thing of himself back in Isaiah 14. He thought he was the only one who deserved a party and he had something to say about it. I pray today, church, that this would not be said of us. You know, Man, I had a hard day's work taking care of these kids. Man, they were crazy today, right? And, and you know, I, I, I got I to gotta clean the church tonight. And I, got, I mean, we've got a lot going on, right? It's been a long day. And then you hear this party going on. It's like, hey, what's happening? Somebody got saved. We're having a party. Well, what about me? You know, you notice that I cleaned the bathroom. And I, I don't want to be the guy who says it, but I will. Who cares? I'm glad that the bathrooms get cleaned, right? I'm glad that the, vacu- the, the carpet gets vacuumed and the kids get taken. I'm glad all that happens. But man, stop worrying about all that junk. What are we here to do? I hate to tell the one, I, I, I hate to be the one to tell you this today, but if you're the one who thinks that the church isn't here to cater to the members, you might be like, what? No, no, there, there's fellowship that happens, Right? Uh, there's a lot of things that happen, but we're not here to cater to the, yeah, we worship, we fellowship, we minister, but you know what Jesus says to do? He doesn't say come and vacuum the carpet. He says, go. 
Go and do what? Preach the word. That's what Jesus says to do. I'm really glad the other stuff gets done. And if it doesn't get done, then um, we need to figure something out, right? But, okay, Jesus says to go. So if you're offended by that, or worse yet, you're offended when we go out and somebody actually receives what we're preaching to them and we're celebrating. And in doing so, we forget to mention that you cleaned the bathroom yesterday or that you watched the kids once a month or you held the door, then shame on you for your self-righteousness. Because you know what it's doing? It's giving you a false inheritance. We're here to reach the lost. Train them up and send them out. In doing so, yes, we minister to the members. But that's not the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is to get the gospel where it needs to go on time. Right? In doing so, yes, I'm really glad that we get the fellowship. Right? I need it. You need it. But that's not the purpose. You understand what I'm saying? If we ever fail to be a church that doesn't go... Or if we ever fail to be a church that goes, then we're done. We're a dead church. The church is a hospital for sick, not a party venue for the righteous. Somebody needs to hear that again. The church is a hospital for the sick, not a party venue for the righteous. The moment we forget that the church, the moment we forget that, the church is going to be a monument. That's all it is. Mark 2.17 says, When Jesus heard it, he said unto them, They that are whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Self-righteousness will give you a false inheritance. Self-righteousness will give you a false inheritance. Number six, and we'll be done. And this one sometimes hits the closest to home. Bitterness will steal your inheritance. Bitterness will steal your inheritance. Verse 30. But as soon as this, he's still going on complaining to dad, but as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, just call him out on his sin. I mean, come on. How do you know? Were you there? But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf? And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. In verse 30, we finally see the true root of the problem for the older brother. It was not so much the fact that the party wasn't for him in the first place. The problem was that it was for his brother. You see, the problem wasn't so much that dad was having a party. I mean, everybody likes a party, right? I don't know. It was that dad was having a party for him, that one person. The older brother had a bitterness problem. You can tell from the words that he says that this has been on his mind for way too long. And this was finally the breaking point. You ever had somebody like that? It's been in there way too long. And when it finally comes out, it does not come out nicely. His younger brother did what he probably always wanted to do. He got to leave. He got to go do all that. I always wanted to do it, right? I don't know that. I'm just, I'm assuming that. And he'd already done several times in his heart. He was just too self-righteous to ever actually do it. Matthew 5, 27 and 28 says, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. The point here is, I don't care if you stayed and served me your entire life. If you're telling me about how much you would have rather done that, you should have, right? You should have. 
I say this to lost people, sharing the gospel with them. I don't, I, that's not for me, man. And maybe that's not the right thing to say, but all right, man, you better enjoy all the sin you can get right now. What do you got, 30, 40, 50, 60 years of it? Man, you better live it up. You better have a really good time. If you're not going to accept Christ, you better live it up now because that's all you get. I've got eternity. I've got eternity, man. So if you're going to live in sin and you're not going to accept Christ, you better have a really good time at it. This is all you get right here. It's all you get. Church, can I just tell you that this scenario right here, this bitterness issue, that's what divides ministries. This is what splits churches. You might be like, what do you mean? And and I'm going to say something here because somebody needs to hear it. What starts is a small offense that's not taken care of properly. You know what that becomes? It becomes a seed, a seed of bitterness in your heart. Once that seed sits in the heart, it begins to take root. And we call it a root of bitterness, right? And it's, it's rooted deep. It's a root of bitterness. And at this point, it's a root of bitterness. At this point, you already know that there's a problem. I probably should have done something. It's a big problem, right? And I know it. But the bigger the problem, I'm sorry, but the bigger problem is you're so self-righteous that you won't humble yourself and realize that you're more so in the wrong than they are at this point. And you're walking around. It's not even a root of bitterness anymore. You've got a full-grown bitterness tree living inside of you, right? Like there's leaves growing out your ears. They're so, it's so bad, man. Everybody can see it, but you, I'm, I'm telling you, I've seen it. Like, come on now. It's a problem. You see, the issue is no longer about the fact that dad's throwing a party. It's that dad is throwing a party for the one brother that you just simply can't stand to think about. The same is true with us, Christians, if we're not careful. The issue is no longer the offense that the person did to you. It's not, that's not the issue anymore. Probably, honestly, probably unknowingly. There's times that I say things, and I'm like, I didn't even know that I said it. My wife would be like, did you know you said that? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to go apologize. So I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it, right? I didn't mean it that way. Or, you know, and sometimes you get offended by something, and instead of going and taking care of it, the person didn't even mean it that way. And now you've got this root of bitterness towards them, and next thing you know, you've got this whole bitterness tree going on. They didn't even know it right? They didn't even know it. Maybe they did. I don't know. But the issue is now that whatever that person says or whatever that person does or whatever that person's even affiliated with, if they're in that ministry, I don't want nothing to do with it, right? It's wrong in your eyes. You've written them off. You now have an issue with a person and not an offense. You now have a root of bitterness. Acts 8, 23. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. Ephesians 4, 30 to 32 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit, whereby you are sealed into the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Church, can I tell you another thing that we do once we become bitter? We want other people to be bitter with us. We want other people to be bitter with us. We take our problem, we start to gossip about it. We drag others into our perception, right? Your bitterness tree has become so big that at this point, you're you're shading the light from the other people around you. It's that bad. Man, that person, they just, did you see it? And they're like, yeah, I kind of noticed something. Next thing you know, you got a whole group of you and you're all mad at a person and you don't even know why. That's a problem. 
Right? That's a problem. Romans 3, 13 to 18 says their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. Uh, the poison of asp is under their lips, uh, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to share, shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and they ha- uh, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Hebrews twelve fifteen says, Looking diligently, lest any man fall, or I'm sorry, any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. It's not just your thing. You're spreading it around. The biggest problem about the bitterness problem in the church is that Jesus already addressed it. He told us how to keep it from happening, and we still allow it to happen. As a, 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 as a leader, as, as the past point, uh, pastor, whatever, um, probably once a week this gets brought up. Matthew chapter 18. And it's not always, you know, in a specific scenario, but... Uh, Jesus dealt with this, Matthew 18, right? And I'm not, I don't have time to go there, uh, but here's, here's basically what it says. If somebody offends you, here's what you should do. You should pray up, and you should go and tell that person, hey, you know that thing you said, you know thing you did? Um, I, I know you probably didn't mean it this way, but it offended me, right? And, uh, and hopefully at that point, the person's like, oh my gosh, I'm sorry I said that. I do that all the time. I got foot and mouth syndrome. I shouldn't have said that, and I did, and, right? I'm so sorry, right? Problem solved. Sometimes, though, the person's like, I don't see anything wrong with what I did. You're like, all right. So what's it say after that? It says, okay, so if they still don't repent, you you go and you take a couple brothers with you. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, the thing should be established. Hey, I'm not trying to drag our business into everybody's business, but hey, um, this is what happened. I still feel like I was offended, right? This is what Jesus is telling them, right? Hey, and and, and these guys, I mean, it's, it's all the same. And I'm not saying go find your buddies and take them, right? Find... Find some people, yeah, we all think you're, you know, I'm not even going to say that, right? <laughs> doesn't matter. They still don't do it. It says, okay, now you can take your problem to the pastor, right? I would suggest your ABF pastor first, right? Brian doesn't need every little problem that happens in the church coming to his office. He's willing to take all of them. I'm not speaking uh, for Brian, but I'm just saying there's a way to take care of these things. Jesus addressed this issue is what I'm telling you. We've got people walking around with these roots of bitterness in their heart, and they're just, they're so mad at a person, they don't even know why, and... Matthew 18 details exactly how to take care of it. It details how to take care of it. The older brother, man, he's just messed up, right? He says, man, I don't care who you throw a party for as long as it's not for my little brother, right? He's just mad. You don't even know what he's mad about. He's just mad. Church, here's the last thing I want to point out and we'll be done. And I thought this was kind of cool. I never noticed this either until I was preparing to, to teach this. There's two brothers in this passage. One's righteous, one's wayward. We know, right? Wayward son went his way, he came back. The other one's righteous. I did everything you told me to do, Dad, right? There's two brothers in the story. Generally, in a situation like this, we as Christians, we can discern which one is more godly. Well, let me just point something out. The wayward son, he's back in the house of his father with all the blessings that come with it. The older, more righteous son... Scripture doesn't give me the account of how he ends up. Scripture doesn't tell me where he's at. We read this story and we think he's the more righteous son. He's always been the more righteous son. I'm just telling you, I know where the wayward son ended up. He's back in his father's house and he's eating good with all the blessings that come with it. The the, the righteous son, I don't know where he's at. I don't know. Maybe there's something to that. If you're the older son in the passage, you get to choose how your story ends. You can either stay bitter about whatever it is that bothers you, or you can lay it down on the feet of Christ 
and get back into fellowship. Join the party like the older son should have done all along. Bitterness will steal your inheritance. It'll steal your inheritance. Let's pray. Father, I love you. Lord, I thank you for uh, today. Lord, I thank you for uh, just a passage of scripture that's uh, so...